Jonah. I'll begin from chapter 3, around verse number 5, and I'll terminate at verse 11 of chapter number 4. So that's Jonah chapter 3, reading from verse 5 uh, through the end of Jonah chapter 4. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For a word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from off of him, that is to say he took it off, and covered himself as well in sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by a decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God relented of the evil or the calamity that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. But the thing displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this the thing that I said when I was in my own country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and a merciful God, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repent thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech you, my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? So Jonah went out from the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made himself a shelter or a booth, and sat under its shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and, and made it come up over Jonah. Pay particular attention to verse number six. He made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over or a shelter over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad for this plant. But God also prepared a worm. When the morning rose the next day and it smote or it killed the plant so that it withered and died. And it came to pass when the sun 
did arise that God prepared a vehemently strong east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and and wished in himself to die. And he said to God, it is better for me to die than for me to live. And God said to Jonah, Jonah, do you do well to be angry for this plant? And he said, I do do well to be angry even to the point of death. Then said the Lord, thou hast had pity on a plant, Jonah, for the which thou hast not labored nor made it to grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, therefore, that great city wherein are more than a hundred and thousand persons that cannot discern their right hand from their left, left hand and also so many animals? You may have your seats. I hope the reading doesn't reflect the length of the sermon. But I want to talk to you this morning as we end our series in the book of Jonah. It's, it's good to see you back, Stephen. I want to end our series this morning looking at the topic I've entitled, When Your Humanity Gets in the Way. When Your Humanity gets in the way. If you don't mind, I want to stay particularly close to my notes this morning because I have some very particular things that I'm hoping to say and I don't want to bypass those things. So I'm I'm going to ask you not to be so uh, overwhelmed with the fact or uh, so distracted by by the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm looking down at my notes, but I want you to pay particular attention to what I'll be sharing on this morning. When your humanity gets in the way. Jonah is a perfect representation of who we are from time to time. There are times as I look in the mirror, I become disgusted by what I see. And if you and I are honest, for those of us who shave and do our hairs and we, we pamper ourselves pretty often, we, we would recognize that the reason why we do what we do is because at a particular point in the week or the day or the month, we, we don't appreciate what we see when we look in the mirror. Our, our hair lines... If, if you're a man, you're our, our hair lines, if, if we have good hair, hair lines, our hair lines become grown out and we don't like the fact that the stubble is there so we need to make it a little bit straight. Uh, we, we find that the hair would grow just a little bit too much so we need to go to the barb and when you get up in the morning, most, most often you, you wash your face because there are some things on your face and in your eyes that you don't generally like to see. 
But it's important for us to look and to peer into the mirror. And so even though there are things about Jonah, even though there are things about these many men and women that we read in Scripture that we don't really like, the truth is it is a reflection of who we are if we're honest with ourselves from time to time. Every now and then we allow emotions to get the better of us. And in those times when we allow emotions to get the better of us, God's spirit is not ultimately reflected. And so as I look at three things on this morning, I want to highlight some things from the life of Jonah and, and make some associations for us because I believe it's so important and invaluable that we understand what God is trying to get all of us to recognize and see through the life. Of his servant Jonah. So as we think about when we allow humanity to get in the way, I want to get straight into my point number one. When we allow our anger to lead us down a path of apathy, it inhibits our affection for the human soul. When we allow our humanity to get in the way and anger becomes the thing that drives us, Anger could lead us to a point of inhibiting our affection for human beings. In other words, agape love is nowhere in the picture because there is no concern or regard for the people who are in question. Notice in our text, Jonah's anger takes him to the point of not simply being irritated, but rather he became irate. It's, it's one thing to become irritated. It's the next thing to become so irate that you lose all sense of who you are and the God that you serve. In Jonah chapter 4 and verse number 1, the, the description is given that he became hot. He became red in the face. Have you seen somebody who ever got so angry that they were besides themselves? And so Jonah got to a place of not simply being irritated, but he became irate at these people and irate at God himself. Twice in our text, God has to ask him, are you justified? Are you right to be angry? Another way of translating that question is, are you really that angry, Jonah? To which Jonah's response would be yes. I want us to note this, that we, we, we need to be careful with, with our anger because we tend to think that, that oftentimes our anger is mostly, if not always, justified. And you might be right to get upset at atrocities, and, and you might be right to get upset at, at, at injustices, but, but even scripture dictates to us that we need to be angry and yet sin not. Not letting the sun go down on our wrath, Ephesians chapter number 4, verse 26. And at the beginning of verse number 27, it would say, don't give any space or place. Give no quarter to the devil. In other words, the devil is able to strategize and use our anger against us if we are not careful and we allow our anger to fester and to grow into something that is, that is, that is, that is, that is nasty and something that is not a reflection of the Holy Spirit. 
So hear me and hear me well. Anger, church, isn't necessarily the problem. Let, let, let me talk to, 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 to some of my fellow people who had a struggle, and I still struggle with it from time to time, but I'll tell you, when I was growing up, there was a time I struggled with anger profusely. Anger is not the problem, but really the problem is what the anger has the ability to lead us towards doing. Anger will cause a person to cut you off on the street. Anger will cause a person in the very first instance in the morning to curse you out. Anger will force an individual who is otherwise calm to choke somebody out. Anger will cause a preacher to knock somebody out. Anger will cause a, a, a husband to curse his wife out and a wife to curse his, his husband, her husband out. Anger will cause a, a, a children to, to be disrespectful to their parents. Anger will cause us to do things that we will not normally do under a cool head. Tell me if I'm wrong. So the issue is, is not anger. And the reason why I say that is because many in, individuals struggle with anger issues. The issue is not the anger. Anger is very much a human trait. Even God reflects the fact that he hates and he becomes angry at certain things. The issue is not anger. That's, that's emotion. The issue is what anger could lead you towards doing. Oftentimes, if we're not careful, our anger and our, our, our irate positions could, could be a mask for things like jealousy. If we're not careful, it could be a mask for envy. Our anger could be a, a mask for, for our insecurities. If we are not careful, we could label, label anger when anger is really not the issue. So in your disposition, in my Disposition. We could find ourselves in a situation where anger becomes the norm and it takes us over because maybe, just maybe, the issue is that we haven't submitted wholeheartedly to the workings of the Holy Spirit. It's not the situations of life that bog us down. It's the fact that we aren't growing in spiritual strength to deal with what life would throw at us. Repeat that one more time. It's not the frustrations of life that, that often gets to us. It's, it's the fact that as the people of God who know the greatest power in the universe, we have yet to tap into that power to the extent that things that ought not to kill us always and often lay us out. So anger, church, is not the issue. It's, it's rather the thing, if we're not careful, that leads us into a place and in situations that we as Christians need not be. Here is some advice that I hope would help us. Instead of rushing to hate selectively the things that God hates when it's convenient to us, and that's a mouthful, we need in turn to learn to appreciate where God's hate is actually directed. In other words, don't just find the things that is convenient to us that God selectively hates. But rather, we need to recognize the, the, the thing or the, the, the main place that God actually directs his hate and his anger to. In other words, God doesn't hate the sinner. God hates the sin. 
So as human beings, as men and women of God, as the offspring of the, the, the king, we need to find ourselves never being in a disposition or holding a mentality that holds people at ransom. For the scripture tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And that's not to give individuals an out. Oh, that's not to make an excuse for people when they readily do us harm. But we need to understand and appreciate that we need to hate the sin and not the sinner. Some divorced folks would, would have a better time loving the soul of the person they are divorced from but hating the sin that created the divorce to begin with. Some grown adults who struggle with mommy and daddy issues growing up would do well to still love and appreciate their parent biologically and their adoptive parents, even though they would have readily done wrong or harm to them. You... Love the person, but you hate the sin. Some Christians would do well after having struggled with church and relationship conflicts to recognize that I need to love the person, but hate the sin. In other words, when I appreciate that, that I need to hate the sinner, not the sinner, it always leaves a pathway open for reconnection and reengagement. In other words, the door is always open and the light is always on. The truth is that sometimes people become church, the embodiment of their sin, truly to their own destructive means and ends. But please understand that we serve a God of hope. God is, is there sitting on his throne and, and he is hoping that someone comes to their senses. He, he is hoping that someone sees the error of their ways. He is hoping that someone turns and they repent from the life that they are living. He is hoping that someone comes back home before it is eternally too late. He is hoping that someone make changes in their life. He is hoping that someone gives their life to him, if I could get a little bit more personal to the church, he is hoping that the church gets right. So we serve a God, a God of hope. And ultimately, until time rolls over into eternity, he keeps on hoping and hoping and hoping. And as his offspring, so should we. If we allow our humanity to get in the way, not only will it inhibit our affection for human beings, but also, number two, we often impede our acknowledgement of that which we know and claim to be true and believe. Repeat that one more time. When we allow our humanity to get in the way, we often impede our own acknowledgement. This is not what somebody else has said. This is what you and I have stated. 
When we allow our humanity to get in the way, we often impede our own acknowledgement of that which we claim to know and believe. In the book of Matthew chapter number 5, I'm going to take my time, but at the same time I'm going to be, going to be done sooner. In the book of Matthew chapter number 5, verses 14 through 16, well actually from verse number 15 it says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all those who are in the house. He would go on to say, let your light so shine before men. I want to repeat that. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I want to repeat that one more time. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good work and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I need to take my time with this. Notice, the thing that is seen first is your deeds. You guys with me? But the one who receives the glory is your God. <laughs> in other words... The thing being reflected is not something that is worldly or carnal or comes from the flesh or else the glory will go to man. Rather the thing that the man is given off as his is actually divine in nature and comes from the father. So the glory and praise is directed at the source who is the maker and not man. Watch this. In Jonah chapter 4 and verse number 2, Jonah makes a declaration in his anger concerning some things he knew about God. The scripture actually tells us that the reason why he left to go to, to, to Tarshish to begin with was because he knew the type of God that he served and he didn't want God to relent in his punishment on the people of Nineveh. So notice, if you had never read Jonah before, you might have thought that Jonah had some big chip on his shoulder and he was more angry with the Ninevites, that's why he didn't want to go. Yeah, that was part of it. The reason why Jonah was running in the opposite direction was because he knew the God that he served and he wanted the God that he served to bring judgment on some people whom he didn't like. You want to know what was Jonah's problem? Jonah's problem was wanting to God to do what he wanted, to, wanted God to do, and he wanted God to do it. You know, it's our problem sometimes. We want God to do what we want God to do whenever we want God to do it. In the way that we want God to do it for us. But here it is in, in his state. I want us to see this. Jonah makes some very clear acknowledgments and some claims concerning the God of Israel. He says, I knew you are a gracious God. I knew you are a merciful God. I knew you are slow. To... Why do we feel that, why do we act like if one sin makes God so irate with us that he is not willing to hear our prayer. You know why we think about God in those terms? Because we often attribute to God our own personality traits. 
I know what I would do if somebody did that to me. But God is in you. God is in me. I know if somebody did that to me, I wouldn't dispense this amount of love to them. No, no, no. That isn't you. That isn't me. That's, that's God. Well, if somebody spat in my face, if, if somebody pierced me in my side, if, if somebody nailed me to my hands and I had the, the power and the ability to wipe them out, they were dead. But thanks be to God, that's not who he is. Jonah acknowledged the fact that he recognized God's graciousness. He recognized and he acknowledges God's mercy. Hear these attributes. He recognizes that the God that he served is a God that's slow to anger. He goes on to acknowledge, I, I knew you are of great kindness. That word great kindness in the, in the Hebrew is such a beautiful term. It's the word chesed. For those lovers of Hebrew and lovers of, 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 of linguistic, that word chesed is such a beautiful term. It's the, it's the idea of loving kindness. And the word loving kindness doesn't even do that word justice. The picture that is painted about this word chesed or loving kindness as it's commonly translated, the, the picture that is painted is something so beautiful that is indescribable. If you were to put, take all the, 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 the artists in, in the world and, and, and give them all a canvas and, and, tell, and ask them to, to paint, if they could, a, a, an image that represents the chesedness of God, they would throw down their brushes in abstract disgust. Because there is no human inspiration that could reflect that. The closest expression of God's chesedness, his, his loving kindness, comes in the form of something that isn't necessarily beautiful to behold. But it has divine and eternal consequences. When Jesus was on the cross, he was beaten, battered, and bruised. He was, he was bleeding from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet. He, he, was, he was placed on a cross for crimes he did not commit. And yet still, that is the image that depicts as best as humanly possible, the chesedness, the loving kindness of Almighty God. I'm so loving, I'm so chesed. I, I knew your great kindness in so much that you are willing to send the best of yourself to save the worst in me. But then he concludes, he says, I knew you would relent yourself. I, I knew you would draw back from bringing destruction on these people. God help me with this. God himself makes these qualities known in the book of Exodus chapter number 34 verses 6 and 7 in his encounter with Moses in the replacement of the two tablets of stone. So the fact that Jonah said what he said is proof that God had in fact lived up to what he claimed about himself to be. In other words, when Jonah makes these declarations about who God was, God, you are gracious. God, you are merciful. God, you are slow to anger. God, you are God of loving kindness. God, you relent from destruction that you, you would impose on individuals. God would have in fact proven those attributes to be true. So the reason why we could say God is a loving God is because God has proven he is a loving God. 
The reason why we could declare that God is a faithful God is because God has proven, even though we, we don't feel it in the moment, God has proven time and time and time again, if not in history, in our own history, God has proven that he's a faithful God. But Jonah, in this moment, even though Jonah knew these attributes about God, his humanity impeded these divine characteristics and qualities from being shown in his very own actions. God couldn't get the glory through his vessel because the light that was supposed to be shining coming from the vessel, that light was obscured. So church, we, we need to be careful. Election time is not really around the corner, but it's around the corner. We need to be careful that we don't allow our carnality. We need to be careful that we don't allow selfishness. We, we need to be careful that we don't allow pride or prejudices, or here's our next P word, politics, or, or our insecurities, or our emotions. You, you get the picture, right? We need to be we need to be careful that we don't allow these things to, to dim the illumination that God wants to do through us. Because if we are not careful and we allow our humanity to get in the way, we not only inhibit our affection to love unconditionally, nor do we impede our acknowledgement of who God is. But finally, if we allow our humanity to get in the way, we find ourselves more often than not intentionally breaking our association with God and his people. We intentionally break our association with God and his people. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me do this. Let me do this. Let me do this. In Jonah 4 and verse number 5, it says, So Jonah went out of the city, and he sat on the east side of the city. And there he made a shelter, and he sat under it and its shadow, till he might see what would become of it. There are three what is considered to be directional motifs. Stay with me. I'm almost done. There are three directional motifs that we find throughout the writings of Jonah, chapter 1 through chapter number 4. Number one, first, we see Jonah running west to Tarshish when God wanted him to go east to Nineveh. Secondly, we, saw, we, we, we see this development of Jonah going from being in the presence of God to going down, 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 down. In chapter number one, no sooner did he leave the presence of God, it says that he went down to Joppa. When he went down to Joppa, he found a boat, and when he found a boat that was willing to take him, he went down into the ship. By the time you get to chapter number two, and he's swallowed up by, by this great uh, fish or this great beast that God would have created, it says that the, the fish takes him down into the bottom of the sea. And from the depths thereof, he would pray unto Almighty God. 
But thirdly, we find a third motif of movement uh, and direction that we find in the book of Jonah right here in chapter 4 where it says, Jonah leaving the city and sitting east side outside of the city. Each one of these movement motifs, each one of these directional aspects and attributes that we find in the book of Jonah is a representation of what we do when we stray from the presence of Almighty God. To go in the opposite direction is to, from this text, find ourselves going westward when God is east. From stepping out and going down, plunging ourselves down, 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 down is, 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 is a contradiction to where God wants us to be. And that's up, 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 up. Jonah would have left the city where God wanted him to be and he went and he sat outside of the city. Notice the text would say he went eastward, which is a reflection of the fact that he goes away from the direction in which the city gate or the temple itself many times was erected towards. This is now the script. But let me see this and I'll shut up. If we aren't careful, we will think that we are justified many a times in the actions that we take to separate ourselves from each other, all because we were angry and we didn't have the skill set to deal with what was ahead of us. I'm going to say this, and I don't know how you guys are going to feel about this. Churches preach a whole lot about unity. And yet Sunday mornings or Sunday afternoons is the most divided opportunities that you would find on the face of the planet Earth. In our fellowship alone, we claim to be of one body, having one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And yet still you would find seven and eight churches within the confines of a three-mile radius, none of whom really connect with each other or have anything to do with each other, and often are a stopping point and a pit stop for irritated, irate, unforgiving, immature members. If you missed that, let me see if I could make it a little bit simpler. We would have people who would not just shop for church, but will go church hopping. Because they have yet to understand what it means to live life in community. So I, I don't like that this church does the communion before the preaching. I, I don't like that this church... Uh, you know, has one prayer for the bread and the juice from time to time. I, I, I don't like that this church has women doing announcements maybe here. I, I don't like that. There, there are a lot of things about church life that could become a situation for us. And instead of being mature and, and allowing God's spirit to dwell there and to help us navigate those waters and, and, and make those connections stronger, we, we cut ties and we sever and we go somewhere else. 
And yet still, you know what we do? Without even making the, um, the necessary amendments to those relationships, we go into different environments and to different locations, and we sing holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and needs to bear. There is beyond the azure blue. A God can see with from human sight. We sing all these songs of praise and worship. Thinking that we're, we're praising God. And if, if Christ were to return in the clouds right now. Ronnie Martin was preaching this morning. I'm going to steal that and I'm going to make a sermon out of that. When Christ returns in the clouds. We believe he, we, we, we're going to be caught up in the air. Not recognizing that we're still tied down here. Because of some relationship that we had failed to forgive somebody for. We're, we're, we're so hurry to preach to everybody else that we fail to preach to our own selves. Oftentimes, when our humanity gets in the way, we inhibit our affection to love wholeheartedly. Oftentimes, I'm, I'm done. Oftentimes, when our humanity gets in the way, we impede our acknowledgement of who God is. And finally, oftentimes, when we allow our humanity to get in the way. We intentionally break our association with God and with his people. I want to encourage you to stand. I want to encourage you. We're going to have some of our elders come down here to the front. I want to encourage you to do this. If you struggle with your, man with your humanity more often than not, don't wait for somebody to come and pray for you. I want to encourage you to find somebody right there in the pew if you feel you can't make your way all the way up to the front. I want to encourage you to find somebody right there in the pew with you. It could be a teenager. It could be whoever. I want to encourage you to just reach over to that person and just start praying with them or ask them, would you pray for me? If you struggle with your humanity more often than not, don't just stand there and think it's going to be all right. I want to encourage all of us to be active participants in getting closer and closer to the heart that God calls us to have. So don't just bow your heads and close your eyes. Look around, be intentional. You know you, God knows you, but you know you too. And if you have a struggle, a genuine struggle, I want you to just find somebody, anybody. We're going to be, this is going to be prayer time for us. Find somebody and you start praying or you ask that person, could you simply just pray for me? You don't even have to tell them your name. Just say, would you please just pray for me?